We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Opinions expressed are not necessarily those of Salem Media Group, their station, or its advertisers. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Jesse Gastan. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gastan. Wonderful afternoon. Your March 3rd, April 3rd. Sorry. Um, we're getting some feedback. April 3rd, 2023. And yours truly is ready to go with you. Just uh, delighting in, in, in the day, just enjoying the day. Again, you and I are heirs of, uh, of the wonderful, beautiful, uh, matchless, uh, sunny California. Albeit, um, we're dealing with some peculiarities around uh, the coolness of it. I'm sure you notice this. We'll have a beautiful, almost clear sky day with sunshine, but cold, cold, cold. Wonder what that is all about these days. I know you know it. In any event, we are... um, we're right up on a special event, and I, I want to make sure that you know it, and I want to make sure that you are involved in it to a to the degree that you can be. Uh, for most of us on this program, we are believers in Christ, and we're serious about our walk with him. And I know this is not true for everyone listening, but largely we are, and, and we're serious about formation. Uh, the public demonstration of sharing communion together around the person and work of Jesus and around the one true living God, our Heavenly Father and the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We are serious about formation because we are serious about information and we are, in addition to that, serious about transformation. No information, no transformation. No formation, no information. Information is the consequence of gathering together around God's word and hearing God's word taught, preached, expounded, sung, praised, exalted, imbibed, ingested, um, if you will, uh, meditated upon, devoted to, and then practically applied in our lives. This is what the outcome of a transformational knowledge of God's word does for all of God's people. That being said, what I am what I am speaking to and referring to is what will happen on this Friday, probably all around the Western world, as we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on Friday, and then subsequent to that on Sunday morning, as you have heard so ubiquitously spoken for so many decades. 
he rose again with all power and authority in his hand. We will celebrate the resurrection of Christ on this Friday. We will be worshiping God in a yearly convocation we have at Grace Bible Church here in Hayward, where we call it Calvary Night, the most awful night in human history. The night in which the Son of the Living God was crucified for our sins. It's one of those opportunities that's as epic as Passover because it is the fulfillment of Passover. Those multiple years of observance on the part of the Hebrew people, then the Jewish people, where at the beginning of their religious year, um, it would be the year, uh, the month Abib, um, for, for them, it would have been April, as uh, we generally note it. In the year in which our Lord was crucified, AD 33, as many of us hold, it would have been April 3rd to 4th. Um, it would have been on a Friday, uh, notwithstanding all the arguments by others. He would have rested Friday evening, stayed in the grave on Saturday, rose again on Sunday morning to be the personification of the fulfillment of all of God's law. <clears throat> well, what we do on Friday night is pay solemn attention to the depths of the mystery of the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. We discipline ourselves as children of God, as the Hebrew people and the Jewish people today would observe Passover. We observe the end of Passover in the person of Christ, as Paul puts it in First Corinthians chapter five. Christ is our Passover feast. And we spend time understanding some parts of this massive historical event that occurred one time when the son of the living God um, bore our sins in his body on the cross and God the father abandoned him to his wrath and justice as a penal substitution for the sins of his people for all that would believe on him. We take the time to look at the cross, listen to the scriptures, ascertain from its historical context, the deep, profound, rich, necessary reflection upon and memorial of the sufferings of our Savior. We'll be doing that this Friday under the theme, Why Was He Forsaken? We'll be addressing the profundity of the mystery of the separation of the Son of God from his Father and what all that entails, both in terms of their ontology, in terms of our theological understanding of redemption, in terms of the mystery of how something like that could occur on the part of the Son of God in relationship to the sins of his people and how it merited for us an eternal justification, a grounds of vicarious righteousness, a status of participation in the divine nature, a promise of eternal life and glorification with the son of the living God and of all God's people from every quarter of the world, from the beginning of time to the end of time for all eternity. The quintessential new Jerusalem proceeds from him who said to tell us die it is finished and we want to 
encourage you if you don't have a place of worship, if your community does not understand the necessity of such a holy convocation, convocation, we would certainly invite you to come out and join us as a child of the living God and participate with the people of God this Friday. Doors open at six. Worship starts at seven. And we will seek to uh, um, bring our souls into conformity to that holy ground of the cross work of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. Definitely want you to uh, join us in that occasion. If you don't have a church home, if you're not doing it, I'm going to admonish you as, as my dear friends and and maybe uh, for some of you, the radio pastor, I, I'm ambivalent about that, but I'll, I'll, I'll say this, that uh, if you have the ability to, you ought to more than ever nowadays join in public gathering with the people of God and no longer continue in the willful rebellion of isolating yourself and not fellowshipping with the saints. Put it into it now before the consequences are too great and irreversible for you if you are not in communion and fellowship with the people of God. Let me say this before I go to break. And we've got a lot to talk about today. I want to talk about miserable physicians. Miserable physicians. I really do. And I'm definitely going to be talking about the practical ones, but the spiritual ones as well. But certainly the practical. That's where we are today in this coup d'etat, in this attempt to take God's place. We've got tens of thousands, if not millions of miserable physicians that would love uh, to misdiagnose you right into the grave. And I want to talk to you about how you can know better than to succumb to the lies of miserable physicians as Job did. He overcame them. They surrounded him, did they not? And they sought to bring him down. And that's what they want to do to you and me as well. We'll unpack that here after the break. But certainly, again, I want to say, if you have been one that has uh, found yourself practicing uh, social distancing, uh, know this, that uh, we were in Texas, my wife and I, to visit our our daughter and grandchildren last week. And uh, I saw one of these signs on the the church, um, uh, I guess you call it... uh, signs where they they invite people over no social distancing here it does not uh this does not refer to god all are welcome yeah that church understood the authority in which they walk no social distancing this does not refer to god all are welcome and uh and that's what we would say too god never told you to social distance somebody else did And uh, we are gathering together now by the name of Jesus Christ and according to his spirit these days. And we are finding God meeting us powerfully in the preaching, teaching, exposition of the word of God and in the fellowship. And we are overcoming the wicked one by the blood of the lamb and and by the word of our testimony. We really are. So I do want to encourage you to... um, Submit to that impulse, submit to that unction you are receiving from the spirit of God to stop sinning against God by forsaking the uh, assembling of yourselves with the saints of the living God and do what you are called to do. Be part of the public witness of the gathering of the saints, the ecclesia, because it is a testimony to the world that one day God will gather us all up out of here and the world will be left 
in darkness and to judgment. So join us again on this Friday at six o'clock. Doors open. Worship starts at seven. We will have a wonderful time trusting that God will meet us, that he will hear us, that he will heal us and that he will bless us. All right, this is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Three lines open, one 367 Three lines open, one 367 We'll get the lines full, and we'll be talking in about 20 minutes. Got some articles I want to read to you and inform you about what you can know about miserable physicians. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. Indeed, we're back. The time is 521 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I've got three lines open, 1-888-367-5329, 1-888-367-5329. Let me get into my monologue. And this is probably going to take up a segment of two or two because I want to read some very precious articles to you. That's going to help you obtain some insight into what many, many of us know. Our dear brother Job, one of the oldest books in the Bible, probably is the oldest book of the Bible. He lived in a time in which Abraham lived. This was way before the formation of the Jewish people. And he probably was part of the Chaldaic society. We can look at some of the... uh, uh, what we call topographical information, and it looks that way. Um, Well, Job was smitten by a disease of uh, severe sickness, severe sickness, and his friends came to uh, mourn with him and grieve with him. But over time, they became accusers of Job, asserting that he was suffering physical sickness in the manner in which he was because he was sinning. He was sinning. They jumped to conclusions, um, acting as if they were sitting at God's elbow and they heard God's counsel about it. Now, they did not sit at his elbow and nor did they really know. This here is a description of religious folk who love to act like they um, understand the mysteries of God and can assign blessings or cursings upon you. This is a real picture of the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the days of Jesus attacking him with ad hominems and pejoratives as well. And uh, this is a battle between the righteousness of God in Christ and the abominable works religion of men who would oppose God's darling son who would bear our sin. Job is a great type of the sufferings of Christ when you understand the book well. But there's a certain point at which Job gets tired of these men and they uh, and their um, all of their misdiagnosing of his symptoms. And here's what Job says. Surely, if I had the opportunity, I would speak to the almighty and I desire to reason with God. What a great way to deal with your pain. You don't talk to God because often the people with whom you are much more available towards and with on a human level don't have the answer. That can let you down sometime. And here's what Job said after about 10 chapters. I'm in chapter 13, verse four. After about 10 chapters of listening to these ignorant, blind, careless, heartless men uh, misdiagnose him, he says, but you are forgers of lies. You forge lies. Now, don't forget that when I make my argument here in a moment. You are forgers of lies and you are all physicians of no benefit. You are all physicians of no value. You are miserable physicians. 
miserable physicians. I'm reminded of that account in Luke's gospel, chapter eight, where this woman had an issue of blood for so many years, something like 12 years and 18 years. And she spent all her money with doctors to no avail. She only got worse and worse and worse. And ladies and gentlemen, that is where we are in our world today when it comes to the medical condition of many human beings in the Western Hemisphere. Men and women are sicker, more sick. Children are more ill. Children have more diseases, more autoimmune deficiencies, more um, mysterious symptoms and diseases than we ever have in the history of America or the history of the world. And yet we have many, many more doctors and more scientists and more specialties and more techniques and technologies. And we've been bombarded by medicine only to get more and more ill. I love the quote. Now, this is not true of all doctors, but it's true of many, many doctors, especially your PCs, your, um, you know, personal physicians, your personal care doctors. Um, They are little more than glorified pharmaceutical dispensers. Glorified pharmaceutical dispensers. Does this describe your doctor? He'll come in, keep his head down. He has a clipboard in his hand. He'll take a few notes, maybe a temperature here or there. Generally, he has an assistant doing that. He'll come in, sit on the stool, won't touch you, won't look at you, won't really engage you. Or he might give you two minutes, depending on where you really are. But by the time he's over, he's eloquently pushing pills on you, recommending this, recommending that, recommending statin and the other things very commonly. Why? Because this glorified pharmaceutical dispenser is working for the pharma colonial masters of big pharma, Pfizer, Moderna, etc. These are the and, and, and these major masters of the plantation of the medical industry have as their mediating field hands our government officials who also get paid to lie to you, forgers of lies, through fear and crisis and panic and mental manipulation and control. Am I telling the truth? Now, I can know, I can know for sure that the alphabet mafia has lied to us and blocked the facts concerning injuries and harm and death. I can know this. I can know this. Now, I can, as a play on my own ability through skepticism, critique, research, analysis, and and the biblical mandate to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good, the biblical mandate to be not ignorant, nor to yield my members to unrighteousness in the name of some pseudo-authority. I am obligated to um, make sure that the conviction of my soul is rooted in facts, and therefore I am obligated to search out the matter. But this is also, I can, as a reference to the excellent legal teams of the High Wire Institute. Highwire.com with Dale Bigtree has a legal team called ICAN, I-C-A-N, and they have been doing yeoman's work for decades. I didn't know it until I went through this particular set of uh, articles in relationship to their investigating the history of vaccines and discovering 
Once again, the forgers of lies utilizing what I call the orifice of the industrial media complex and telling you and me that vaccines have always been and never are harmful, but safe and effective. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? Now, I have 31 pages in my never before nicotine stained fingers to quote that master talk show host, the late Rush Limbaugh. And I'm going to read five pages to you, five pages. Um, if you want to join the revolution and if you if you if you really want the 31 pages, you can email me at GBC Hayward at Gmail dot com, GBC Hayward at Gmail dot com. And I will put you in contact in your never before or maybe formerly nicotine stained fingers to help you see it with your own eyes. When I come back from the break, because I can see only about one minute, you will hear what I have read in the 31 pages. And I'm not surprised because, you know, I've been fighting this battle for almost three years of warning you about the fact that your government lies to you. Two weeks ago, last week, I think, no, it was two weeks ago, I told you. Um, no, it was last week. I told you that we have had the... Uh, the policy lifted in 2012 where our government can employ manipulation and propaganda to shift the thinking of American citizens in a path of submitting to and um, adhering to the uh, forms of information they want you to believe. Uh, they have the ability, they have the knowledge to mass hypnotize. They have the ability to manipulate, to, to nudge, as one of the terms is, I'll talk about that later, nudge you in a direction where you simply uh, imperceptibly nod your head, yes, like Pavlov's dog, to, um, to whatever our government says, because they bombard you with every media outlet that they own through Big Pharma to keep telling you the same things over and over and over again. And it doesn't dawn on you that they're lying because you are being jammed, you're being blitzed, you're being dominated by the same narrative, the same phrasing, the same terms everywhere. And so because it's so ubiquitous everywhere, it has to be true. Not on your life, not on your life. When I come back, I'm going to read some articles. These are professional um, observations, articles that are derived from court cases that have um, through your FOIA Act, your Freedom of Information Act, um, exposed exactly what's been going on in terms of our medical in terms of our medical industry when it comes to vaccines. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. Jesus says, if you are my disciples, you will continue in the truth and the truth will set you free. We're going to continue in that right after this break. And now back to Lifeline. Indeed, we are. The time is 535 on this Monday edition of Lifeline. I was watching the riveting Jim Jordan uh, Senate hearings on the alleged suppression of free speech by the Biden administration. And, you know, they got lawyers on both sides testifying to, for and against uh, the Biden administration and for the Biden administration. And, you know, you got your Republicans and your Democrats all sitting there posturing and ready to engage in battle. Fascinating to listen to the tactics of the Democrats as they 
never once denied what the Biden administration has been doing all throughout COVID in terms of suppression of free speech, uh, threatening uh, Twitter, Facebook, Google, and uh, shutting down uh, good men and women from the professional and more accurate information that all of the world needs because they want to continue pushing their narrative. And I've stated it before, if you're telling the truth, you don't have to force it on me. If you're telling the truth, you don't have to keep me back from any other data. Truth has superiority in itself. If you feel like the only way you can get me to believe your position is to shut everybody else down, you are calling me absolutely ignorant, undiscerning, and incapable of determining for myself whether or not what you're saying is true. This is what we call the nanny state of neo-Marxist socialism when it dominates the narrative, Pravda, the media, and force people to buy into something that has the level of threat that you can lose your job, as many people did. This is not freedom of speech. Neither is it leaving room for truth to be discovered through dialogue and debate. In other words, you have heard over and over again, and this is what cajoled me to move into to do this research. One of the Democrat uh, speakers, uh, African-American sister, opened up eloquently talking about all of the misinformation that had to be quelled by the Biden administration, such as vaccines are not safe and effective. She made that clear. She says that's misinformation. She said masks do work. Those who say they don't, that's misinformation. And then, of course, she coyly, like the Democrats always do, conflated our arguments against this tyrannical agenda of shutting people's lives down over a um, pandemic that was little more than a epidemic, not a pandemic at all. That can be proven, too. Uh, But she conflated it with what happened on January 6th. And that was the fundamental tactic going on by the uh, Democrats throughout this whole hearing process. But I would recommend you go on YouTube and look it up. Jim Jordan's uh, hearing targeted uh, Biden administration alleged suppression of free speech. It's about an hour and 33 minutes. Absolutely beautiful. And as I say to those who listen to me carefully, when you hear the first person, they give you all of their arguments, sounds good, pulls your emotional coat strings, just hold your horses until you hear the other side. Because there is a marked difference between the quality, character, and tone of truth than there is from the prevarications and and, uh, uh, mumbo-jumbled uh, circular reasoning arguments and deflections and incoherent speech of people who want to pull the wool over your eyes. Well, for the next few minutes, let me share with you what I can discover. The uh, legal team of uh, the Highwire Institute, uh, as they investigated, took to court, and uh, through legal means, uh, through the Foyer Act, which you could do too as an American citizen, discovered several things. And tell me when we uh, take this up at the top of the hour, tell me what this sounds like to you. I quote, this white paper provides an introduction to vaccine safety science and policy in the United States. 
Section I discusses how Congress, or one, discusses how Congress granted pharmaceutical companies immunity from liability for vaccine injuries and transferred all responsibility for vaccine safety to the United States Department of Health and Human Services. From this point on, I'll use the term HHS and its agencies, including the Food and Drug Administration, Digital Alphabet Soup, FDA, the Center for, uh, for Disease Control, CDC, and the National Institute of Health. There it is, your FDA, CDC, and NIH. Are those familiar to you? Section two discusses how most pediatric vaccines were licensed based on inadequate clinical trials, including follow-up periods too brief to capture adverse outcomes and illegitimate placebos, that is, the use of other vaccines until, instead of a legitimate placebo. Those of you who are in the medical field, you know what I'm talking about. Those of you who are not, if you have a healthy BS indicator, you know I'm on to something. Let me continue. Section three discusses the CDC's deficient post-licensure vaccine safety surveillance. Section four discusses the conflicts of interest at HHS regarding vaccine safety, including the issues resulting from placing HHS in charge of vaccine safety and the conflicting duty of promoting defending vaccines against any claim of injury. So here they are supposed to watch HHS. Human services, uh, health and human services are supposed to watch for the safety and efficacy of our vaccines, and yet they're also defending vaccines against any claim of injury. If that's not a conflict of interest, I don't know what is. Until a frank conversation is possible regarding vaccine safety, children susceptible to vaccine injury will not be protected from such injury, nor will children injured by vaccines be able to access the services they need. We can do better in protecting and serving children who are susceptible or succumb to serious injuries from vaccination. The first step in avoiding vaccine injury and helping those already harmed is understanding the state of vaccine safety. The science and the policy of it in America. This paper provides this understanding and highlights areas in need of improvement. Number one, who is responsible for vaccine safety? Unlike nearly every other company in America, pharmaceutical companies have almost no liability for injuries caused by their vaccine products. How did this happen? As explained by the Institute of Medicine, IOM Institute of Medicine, by 1986, the litigation costs associated with claims of damage from vaccine have forced several companies to end their vaccine research. Did you hear what I just said? The IOM, the Institute of Medicine, a very longstanding institution, um, saw to it that the litigation cost associated with claims of damage from vaccines have forced several companies to end their vaccine research and development programs as well as to stop producing already licensed vaccines. Instead of letting market forces compel vaccine makers to create safer vaccines, Congress granted pharmaceutical companies financial immunity from injuries caused by vaccines recommended by the CDC. Congress did so by passing the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act in 1986, who was the president in 19. 19- 
86. Let me go on because I have a few more minutes in this segment. By granting immunity from actual or potential liability from injuries caused by vaccines, Congress eliminated the market forces that are generally relied upon to assure the safety of all other products. As the 1986 Act expressly provides, no person may bring a civil action against a vaccine administrator or manufacturer in a state or federal court for damages arising from vaccine-related injury or death. What in the world did they just do in 1986? They took away the free market, which would have challenged moderate size uh, vaccine and, and, and medical companies like Pfizer and Moderna and others, Merck and others, because of competition. It would have also opened the door for the necessary evaluation of the quality of their drugs and thus stop some of the many, 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 many damaging, harmful uh, consequences of, uh, of, of the drugs in the lives of American citizens because they would have been forced to prove the quality of their product. The 1986 Act even shields vaccine makers from liability where it is clear and unmistakable that the vaccine in question could have been designed safer. As recently explained in a U.S. uh, Supreme Court opinion, listen to it, the U.S. Supreme Court opinion, no one, neither the FDA nor any other federal agency nor state and federal injury ensures that the vaccine manufacturers adequately take account of the scientific and technological advancements. This concern is especially acute with respect to the vaccines that have already been released and marketed to the public. Manufacturers, well, often have little or no incentive to improve the designs of the vaccines that are already generating significant profit margins. Recognizing that the 1986 Act eliminated the incentive for vaccine makers to assure the safety of their vaccine products, the 1986 Act explicitly places this responsibility in the hands of the United States Department of Health. There is more to be said, and you already know what I'm going to say. We have the information and data of the shabby job of vaccine safety and uh, different uh, medical product safeties and the harms and the history and the facts. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'll be right back if you want to know the truth. And you can. We'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline. We are indeed back. Now, let's continue reading and understanding Why children in the Western world are almost from the day that they're born sick, ill and afflicted more than almost any other children in the world. And there is a very strong and necessary correlation between their illness and vaccines. Since passage of the 1986 Act, to protect the big farmer from from litigation and lawsuits. The number of required pediatric vaccines has grown rapidly. Did you notice what I just said? You should get it. You're you're Professor Colombo. The moment that the president in 1986 protected big pharma so they couldn't be sued because they were getting sued so much prior to 1986, they were about to go out of business. Immediately, the regiment and vaccine uh, uh, requirements for pediatrics 
skyrocketed rapidly, skyrocketed rapidly. In 1983, how many years ago was that? 40 years ago, the CDC childhood vaccine schedule included, this was 40 years ago, 11 injections of four vaccines. Now, 40 years ago, all we got when they poked into us all kind of things was 11 vaccines over 18 years. I mean, 11 injections over 18 years and only four kinds of vaccines. As of 2017, that's only six years ago, the CDC childhood vaccine schedule includes, listen now, 56 injections and 30 different vaccines. Now, that was from 2017. We're at 2022. They're up from 56 injections to over 72 injections and more than 30 different vaccines. You're not going to tell me that a human being somehow, some way is not going to be harmed by that many injections with that many vaccines. It goes on to say that the uh, liability for vaccine injuries Due to federal funding scheme, CDC recommended vaccines are then made compulsory to American children under state laws and subsidized by the federal government for children unable to afford vaccines. In other words, now that the big pharma no longer is capable of being sued, in addition to that, the CDC is enforcing recommendations that all of our children get vaccinated. This is where you and I are today. The end result is that under the 19 1986 Act, every pediatric vaccine recommended by the CDC creates for its manufacturer a liability-free captive market of 78 million children with guaranteed payment. This incentive structure is unequal in the marketplace and eliminates the normal market forces driving product safety. Hence, the 1986 Act transferred essentially all responsibility for vaccine safety from the pharmaceutical companies to the HHS. Number two, the pre-licensure vaccine safety review. Here's the review. This is the part I want to get into, and I may have to do a little bit of this over in the second hour. HHS through the FDA licenses all vaccines under the American public, used by the American public. All non-vaccine drugs licensed by the FDA undergo long-term, multi-year, double-blind safety studies during which the rate of the adverse reactions in the group receiving the drug under review is compared to the rate of adverse reactions in a group receiving an inert placebo, such as a sugar pill or a saline injection. Now, you may not have heard it. All non-vaccine drugs go through a lengthy, long-term, multi-year, double-blind safety study. In, in this safety study, there is a inert placebo method of sugar pills or saline injections used in order to demonstrate legitimate causal harm. But And so he's getting ready to give an example of it. For example, Embril's pre-licensure trials followed subjects up to 80 months. And controls received a uh, saline injection. That is your control group, the group that didn't get the get the uh, shot or the medicine or the the, uh, product. Lipitor's pre-licensure trials lashed. lasted a median of 4.8 years. You see Lipitor on the commercials. It went through almost a five-year 
process of undergoing studies where there was your double blind safety studies and your control groups at length in order to know not only efficacy and safety, but harm and, and, and serious consequences. It takes that kind of time. Uh, Botox pre-licensed trials lasted a median of 51 weeks and controls received a saline injection. And even with all these long-term studies, drugs are still often recalled. Why? Because they find harm over time. While most drugs like the ones above are given uh, to sick adults, pediatric vaccines are typically given universally to babies and toddlers. And while pharmaceutical companies remain liable for injuries caused by their non-vaccine drugs, as discussed above, they have no liability for injuries caused by vaccines. What does that mean? Your baby can be sick. Your child can be sick. Your teen can be sick. Your adult can be sick and die. And there's no real serious recourse to it. One would therefore expect that pre-licensure safety testing for vaccines would be more rigorous than that concluded for drug conducted for drugs. Unfortunately, unlike all non-vaccine drugs licensed by the FDA, vaccines are not required to undergo long-term double-blind inert placebo-controlled trials to assess safety. In fact, not a single one of the clinical trials for vaccines given to babies and toddlers had a control group receiving an inert placebo. Further, most pediatric vaccines currently on the market have been approved based on studies with inadequate follow-up periods of only, hear me now, a few days or weeks. For example, there are two hepatitis B vaccines licensed for one-day-old babies in the United States. One manufactured by Merck and the other by GlaxoSmithKline or Klein. Merck's hepatitis B uh, vaccine was licensed by the FDA after trials which solicited adverse reactions for only five days. Uh, after vaccination. Similarly, GlaxoSmithKline hepatitis B vaccine was licensed by the FDA after trials which solicited adverse reactions for only four days after vaccination. Follow-up periods of four or five days are not only nearly long enough to detect possible adverse effects such as autoimmune or neurological disorders, seizures, or death. Worse is that since neither of these clinical trials used a control group, it was impossible to scientifically determine if any adverse reaction in the limited four or five day safety review period was even caused by the hepatitis B vaccine uh, being evaluated. We talked about this last year. It's called gaming the data, setting up the data, setting up the trials, gaming the data in a way that you can't conclusively take the correlation and and be able to identify causation because the trials are so filled with flaws. Similarly, the HIV vaccine manufactured by Merck and and Glacol Smith-Klein were licensed by the FDA based on trials, which adverse reactions were monitored for only three days and four days, respectively, after vaccination. The only standalone polio vaccination in the United States was licensed after a mere 48-hour follow-up period. I'm going to finish up with this, and then when we come back from the break, we can talk about the implications. Even more amazing is that unlike every drug licensed by the FDA, the control groups 
in these vaccine trials did not receive an inert placebo. Rather, the control group was given one or more previously licensed vaccine as the placebo. This means each new vaccine need only be roughly as safe as one or in some cases numerous previously licensed vaccine. Such flawed and unscientific study designs cannot establish actual safety profiles of any vaccine. The real adverse event rate for a vaccine can only be determined by comparing subjects receiving the vaccine with those receiving an inert placebo. Yet the study design required for every drug is never required before or after licensing a vaccine. Follow up. I'm sorry. It is unacceptable that the FDA licensing process for vaccines fails to assess the safety profile of each vaccine. It is also unacceptable that the FDA does not require the use of inert placebo controls to assure the integrity of even the minimal safety review conducted as the HHS own paid experts have clearly stated have clearly explained. When I come back, I want to talk a little bit about how the IOM uh, has has labored vigorously to try to fix this to no avail and how what you and I are looking at today by the blessed, blessed, blessed debacle of both the uh, Trump and, and uh, Biden administration enforcing upon us a junk uh, uh, what we would call um, a junk injection platform mechanism that is not even a vaccine has created so much trouble in our nation, our world, that uh, is starting to come out what's going on behind the scene and indeed what has been going on behind the scenes since 1986. To sum it up before we go to break, you won't find any of the 72 uh, regimented vaccine injections of over 30-something vaccines given to your kids ever having a legitimate safety trial to prove either efficacy or harm. And that's by design so that the CDC won't have to own the fact of the millions and millions of injuries already reported in VAERS over the years that are obviously a correlation connection between the vaccines and the injuries of the people. This is so abundantly clear. one 367 5329 one 367 5329 We'll be right back. 